0: All right, well, good morning, everyone. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Adam Brown. I'm one of the Citigroup leaders here at Veritas. We're really glad to have you all this morning, whether you're here in person or watching on the live stream. It's great to see you all. I love this church, and it's truly an honor to stand up here and open God's word with all of you this morning. So if you will, would you please turn your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 8. We're going to be taking a look at verses 18 through 28 this morning. When you get there, would you please stand with me so we can read God's Word together? Let's hear God's Word with anticipation, humility, knowing that this is our Creator speaking to us. So God says to us through the Apostle Paul, starting in verse 18, All things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. This is the word of the Lord. Speak to God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for these amazing truths that you've given us in your word. I pray that you'd work these truths into our hearts and into our minds as we spend time in this passage this morning. Encourage us with your word. Grow us and our love for and knowledge of you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Well, as a church, we've just completed our season of Advent where we reflect and look back on this time of waiting for the coming Messiah. And on Christmas Day, we celebrated the culmination of this season, the miracle of Jesus Christ coming into the world. He was born as a man, Lived a sinless life on our behalf. Died the death that we all deserve. And he ascended victorious to the right hand of God the Father in heaven. Where he's constantly interceding for all of us. What's more is that salvation through Christ is free for all who will repent and turn from their sin and put their faith in Christ. This is great news, church. This is the best news. This is the news that we celebrate every day of our lives. This is the news that we share with anyone who will listen to us. But is this where this great news ends? Are we done waiting? Well, this year has certainly been one of pain, loss, loneliness, or at the very least a major inconvenience for everyone in the world A global pandemic, social and political upheaval, leading perhaps to the most divisive presidential election in the history of our country. All of these events occurring with such unswerving division that not even the church has been immune to it. I mean, just one check of the news or your social media will paint an ugly picture of hate, violence, brokenness, suffering that currently is filling the world. This is just not the way the world was created to be, but as Christians, we have reason to not despair and fall into this state of fear and frenzy. No matter what's happening around us in the world, we have a hope that carries us through even the worst possible conditions. A hope that rests not in this world, but a hope that points us to a definite and delightful existence outside of this world. So we'll see in this morning's passage that we have hope and suffering and help from the Spirit as we look forward to future glory. Our passage encourages us in these three ways. We have hope in our suffering, we have the help of the Spirit, and we will have happiness and glory. First, we have hope in our suffering. At the beginning of our passage, in verse 18, Apostle Paul makes an extremely bold statement. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. Paul's saying that the pain and suffering that we experience pales in comparison to what we have to look forward to. In many ways, this is an incredibly encouraging thing for us all to hear, but it's possible that some of you may hear this and think that Paul is minimizing your experiences of suffering. But I assure you, that's not at all what Paul is doing here. In his time as an apostle, he suffered perhaps the most severe pain and suffering than anyone other than our Lord Jesus. Just listen to how Paul describes some of his experiences in 2 Corinthians. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, and toil and hardship through many a sleepless night and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches." You know, just to name a few. I think in hearing this list, we can all agree that Paul is a worthy authority to speak on the topic of suffering. So he's certainly not minimizing suffering, but even in his own immense suffering, he still says that it's not worth comparing to the future glory to be revealed. There aren't even words to speak that can compare the two sufficiently. He can say this because he lived with hope for this future glory. He lived his life with an eternal perspective. He goes on in verses 19 to 22 explaining how all of creation is waiting, groaning, and hoping for this day. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. All of creation is suffering from the negative effects of the curse that Adam and Eve brought upon the world the fall in Genesis 3. In disobeying God and introducing sin into the world, humans have plunged the entire creation into suffering. The whole of existence is fully aware of this current disorder and it groans And the pains of childbirth as it waits for things to be restored back to the way they should be. What better example do we have of this groaning of creation in our time than this current global pandemic that we're all in the midst of? This entire year has felt like a time of eager longing, groaning, and hoping for things to go back to the way they were. COVID-19 has killed 1.6 million people across the world this year, but even before COVID, there are plenty of other diseases, natural disasters, wars, who have claimed billions of lives and done irreparable damage to creation. These are all examples of how the whole world is subject to this curse. But God has done this for a purpose. He's done this because of human sin, but also to force us to look ahead and hope to a much better existence so that we're not tempted to become too comfortable with and take too much of a liking to this present world. The 19th century British pastor Charles Spurgeon said this about being comfortable in this world. God has not made this world to be a nest for us. If we try to make it such for ourselves, he plants thorns in it, so that we may be compelled to mount and find our soul's true home somewhere else, in a higher and nobler sphere than this poor world can give. Since human sin brought the curse upon creation, we are not meant to take up residence and find comfort in this world. The sufferings and groanings are meant to point point creation forward in hope to a future eternal home where everything is restored. In verse 23, Paul goes on to point out that Christians are also affected by this curse. Not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Though we have trusted in Christ by faith, received God's Spirit, and are co-heirs with Christ, we are not exempt from the sufferings of this fallen world. And becoming followers of Christ, we also know that we must share in His suffering. This very church, in its short life, has experienced horrible tragedy and suffering. Families have lost children, and it truly pains me to say families, plural, for that one. There have been lost loved ones and jobs, barren wombs, broken relationships. Many suffer from terrible illnesses that, in most cases, seem to have no real cure. There's no shortage, even in our immediate sphere of pain and suffering. Notice, though, that Paul does not say that the suffering is unexpected or something that can be completely avoided. In fact, we know from the apostles and Jesus himself that suffering is to be expected in this world as we follow Christ. But as Christians, we can look to the example of the faithful cloud of witnesses before us, such as apostles like Paul, and see that Christ has given us a reason to always have hope in these hardships. Listen to what Paul says in his second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 4. This is exactly what Paul is saying in our passage this morning in verses 24 and 25. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. It's in this hope of the unseen where Christians experience this tension of the already and not yet of God's kingdom. As Christians, we have received salvation, forgiveness for our sin through through our faith in Christ, but we're still hoping and waiting for a final freedom from the sin and suffering that's still afflicting us. Our hope in this freedom, though we don't have it fully yet, is guaranteed in Christ, so we are able to wait for it with patience. Now, the way that Paul's using the word hope here in this passage is not the way we would typically use it in our daily conversation. For example, I could say, I sure hope that Republicans and Democrats just stop fighting and start working together peacefully. But that's wishing for an uncertain result. A very uncertain result. But Paul's use of the word hope in this passage is as the late theologian R.C. Sproul says, faith looking forward. It is trust in the promise of our God who has been faithful in keeping all of his promises. Church, we have complete confidence in this hope, because it has been won for us by our Lord Jesus. Look at what Paul says a little earlier in Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings Knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We can be absolutely certain and rejoice in this hope of future glory, even in suffering, because God has secured it for us in Christ, but also we can be certain of this Coming redemption because God has filled his people with the Holy Spirit as a source of hope and help in our weakness. Now we see that we have the help of the Spirit. Looking back at verses 23 of our passage, Paul calls Christians those who have received the first fruits of the Spirit. And using this phrase, Paul is saying that God has sealed his people with his Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, as a sign of their salvation through faith in Christ. And not just that, but also as a down payment for the full and final salvation that is to come. In this way, the Spirit is a great source of hope for God's people, providing us the assurance that we do belong to God. Furthermore, the Spirit also helps us in this current age of life in a fallen world. Jesus himself, before being betrayed and taken away to be crucified, called the Spirit the Helper, and said to his disciples, it is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. After such an endorsement from Jesus, there's no understating the vast importance of the Holy Spirit's help in our lives. Paul has actually been describing the ministry of the Spirit and the life of God's people throughout the whole earlier part of chapter 8 here in Romans. Romans. But here in verses 26 and 27, Paul focuses on one significant aspect of the Spirit's ministry to us. Prayer. He says in verses 26 and 27, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We so often contend towards small, narrow prayers as if God is limited in His power to answer us. Or our prayers can turn inward and turn into some sort of self-centered plea as if we're wishing to a genie. But God is not a genie, and God will not give us the desires of our hearts when those desires are not in line with God's perfect will for our lives. But that's why what Paul says here about the Spirit is so encouraging. When we don't know how to pray or what to pray for, the Spirit helps us pray rightly to God. He intercedes, meaning he's pleading with God on our behalf with a groaning too deep for words, which is referring to a deep spiritual communication between God and His Spirit. One commentator explains it this way, there is mystery here. We are peering into the unseen spiritual realm where a great person and great forces are at work on our behalf. And although we cannot understand at all, we can take infinite encouragement that a groan may sometimes be the most spiritual prayer. In cor- instead of praying according to the will of our flesh, the Spirit will always pray according to God's will. Christian, when is the last time that you asked the Spirit for help in prayer? We need to be dedicated to Spirit filled prayer, knowing that God, who knows the mind of the Spirit and our hearts, answers according to His perfect will. And this is great news for us, church, because God's will is always to conform us to the likeness of Christ. This may not be the easiest thing for us to experience, but it is what's leading us to future glory. Finally, we see that we will have happiness and glory. To conclude our passage, Paul says in verse 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things Work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Christians, this is one of the most reassuring verses in all of Scripture. But I realize that many of you have probably heard this verse stripped out of its context and misused. However, this is not Paul turned prosperity teacher, saying that God is working all things together to give us whatever we want. The good that Paul is actually referring to here is seen if we take a brief look at the next verses. Pastor Garrison will start us in a new sermon series next week, looking at more in depth into these verses. But for our purposes this morning, I'd like to read them for context. Paul says in verses 29 through 30, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that we might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. God is using all things in our lives to conform us to Christ's image. None of it is pointless. In fact, the very suffering that we've been talking about this morning is exactly what God uses to bring about this good in our lives, the conformity to Christ that leads to ultimate salvation and glory. This end that God has purposed for us of being glorified echoes back to many of the things we've heard in this morning's passage. The revealing of the sons of God, the freedom of the glory of the children of God, the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. These things are the very glory from verse 18 that is to be revealed to us. Our certain hope is in the day that Jesus returns, revealing those who have been put their faith in him as the fully adopted sons and daughters of God. As his followers, we will be raised to life with him, making our bodies into new glorified bodies that will no longer be subject to sin, suffering, and death. So if you have not put your faith in Christ and you're listening to this, I invite you to do that this morning by repenting of your sins, accepting Christ's sacrifice on the cross for you. He will give you his righteousness, wash away all of your sin, and you too can share in this hope For glory with all of God's people. But for all of us who do believe, not only will we receive new glorified bodies, but the the creation will receive its long-awaited restoration. As we see in the book of Revelation, the new heavens and the new earth will replace the old, ushering in the perfection of God's creation prior to Adam's fall. But brothers and sisters, the best part of glory is that we will get to live with our holy, gracious, and glorious God for all eternity. This relationship between God and his people that was broken at the fall will be completely restored, giving us a perfect peace with God. We see a beautiful description of this in these two verses from Revelation 21. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. If you are suffering and grieving, this is truly the most beautiful promise for us to hear and hope in. What Christ has secured for us is life everlasting with the Father, with no sadness, suffering, or death. And so, the hope that we've been talking about this morning, the, Paul that, the, the hope that Paul is talking about in this passage, will no longer be hope at all, but will be reality. Reformer for Martin Luther puts it wonderfully when he says, If we consider the greatness and the glory of the life we shall have when we have risen from the dead, it would not be difficult at all for us to bear the concerns of this world. If I believe the word, I shall on the last day, after the sentence has been pronounced, not only gladly have suffered ordinary temptations, insults, and imprisonment, but I shall also say, Oh, that I did not throw myself under the feet of all the godless for the sake of the great glory which I now see revealed and which has come to me through the merit of Christ, we can have hope in this life through even the most severe of suffering because what we will experience in glory will be so unspeakably incredible that our suffering is not even worth comparing. So, what does this look like? How do we cultivate hope in Christ as we wait this future glory? The first way we do this is in community. We are made for community and the church is a people filled with the Spirit to encourage one another in the faith. Paul says at the beginning of Romans to his Christian Roman audience, for I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Even Paul need the encouragement of fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. We need to be faithful in gathering with God's people. Sunday mornings throughout the week, we need each other. We're not some club, we're a family that is meant to reassure one another in our faith and bear one another's burdens. I know COVID has made this more difficult for many, but even those that are unable to gather in person right now, there are many ways to still stay connected. You know, if you do a phone call, video call, text message, email, or even send a carrier pigeon. It's important to have that connection with the body of Christ as often and as much as possible. The second way we cultivate this hope is in Scripture. In order to live with hope that overcomes suffering and looks forward in faith to glory, we need to know God's faithfulness and trust in His promises. What a miracle it would be if God had just left all these truths in a book for us to read whenever we want. We often take for granted that we have God's Word, but close to the end of Romans, Paul reminds us that whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. We must be immersing ourselves in God's Word if we expect to strengthen our faith and persevere through the difficulties of life in this world. The third way we do this, that we cultivate hope, is in prayer. Prayer is not just some chore that we check off our weekly checklist, but a miraculous blessing from God. We get to speak with our Creator, and He listens. Paul says later in Romans to rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, and be constant in prayer. We must be faithful in prayer to God, especially in hard times. And realize we even need to pray that God would change our hearts by His Spirit to give us the desire and ability to pray and to read His Word and to fellowship with others. And when we pray, we don't have to worry about having the right words to say. Because we know the Spirit intercedes for us in prayer according to the will of God. This is a great source of hope for us. So church, as we conclude, are we cultivating hope, especially within the body of Christ? Are we staying engaged in community, praying without ceasing and immersing ourselves in God's word? If not, how can we expect to persevere in hope? As we enter into this new year with this brokenness inevitably following us, and what or whom are you putting your hope in? Are you placing your hope in the things of this world, career, money, possessions, having the right politician in power, or even a new calendar year? The things of this world are false securities, and they will inevitably lead to disappointment and despair. But placing your hope in the eternal Son of God, Jesus Christ, and the future glory that He has secured for us is what will truly sustain us, even in suffering. So church, let's cling to Christ and so secure our hope in this future glory. Let's pray. Father, You are a God who comforts the afflicted. You've given us Your Spirit, Your Word, and Your people to help us in our suffering. Forgive us for so often putting our hope in the things of this world and giving into fear, instead of fixing our hope in you. We thank you for giving us hope in the coming glory, the return of your son Jesus to rescue your people and all of your creation. God, would you cause us to remain faithful in community, to bear one another's burdens and to encourage one another? Would you cause us to pray faithfully by the power of your Holy Spirit, knowing that you will answer according to your will? Cause us to immerse ourselves in your word so that we may be sanctified in your truth. Your word is truth. By these things, Lord, remove in us the hope that we have in worldly things and increase our faith and hope for the coming glory in Jesus. And it's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.